Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 72 of The Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. Every week, we show you editing in action with tips that you can use to improve your own stories. If you want to learn more about the Writership Podcast, you can visit the website at writership.org slash podcast. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. If you go there today, you can gain free access to their video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies. That's authormarketinginstitute.com. Hey, Clark. Hey, how's it going, Leslie? It's going well. It's going well. Um, I wanted to, before we um, dive in today, remind everyone that um, about your book, your, your new oh, release. That's right. Hank Hudson and the Anubis is now available at all your favorite outlets um, in both ebook form and also you can get the print. And um, yeah, I'm excited. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, I know that I wrote it, but it's some pretty good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to say that. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so Very good. Very good. I'm excited. It's in the queue for my um, young people. And also, I remember you made the point that it's just good, good fiction, a good story, so that... Um, if you're an adult, if you're not a middle grader, you too can read Hank Hudson and the Anubis. Exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to talk about something. I'm a little worried that my mic is echoey, so I'm going to try to get close here in my little box. Um, the, um, I wanted to talk about rules that polarize people, like what's correct and what's not. And um, I... I've talked about this before because I think that um, people are nervous about having, you know, you know, about getting things right and not mm -hmm. being wrong and that um, some of the rules can become a little dogmatic, um, you know. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Because we, we, we come from different, uh, a lot of times we use different um, style manuals, manuals uh -huh. that, uh, you know, whether you're using, um, so the Chicago or like, you know, I came from the background of journalism. So we use AP style, which, you know, drops that whole Oxford comma or the serial comma, uh -huh. um, like what we called it. So, and, uh, this is, it's a little joke, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and kind of the difference between these two, you know, the standard comma is, you know, Bob, Sue and Greg, they came to my house where the Oxford comma would be, you know, Bob, Sue and Greg, they came to my house where the walk-in comma, this is one that's not commonly used, but you know, Bob, Sue and Greg, they came to my house. <laughs> I, that's uh, the best Chris for walking I can do. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, that, you know, <laughs> so that because there are different those different rules right that circulate um one of them is that um you put a comma anywhere you would naturally pause mm -hmm. when when reading and um that's a 
miss um miss what's the word I'm looking for um what it's it's a misperception I would say um and the Oxford comma is just a I mean honestly it's a it's a preference and so I like it I mean I can't and I come from a legal background um in part and so clarity and precision were an absolute must and so erring on the side of um of that was was always a good thing um Mm -hmm. but people get really upset about it and it you know at bottom it's a preference I think. It, it really is a preference, you know, because uh, unlike there are actual languages that have like committees and uh, rules that are really regulated and put in place about what you can use and what you can't. Mm-hmm. English is not one of those. You know, that uh, our language is growing. You know, uh, we, we create new words all the time. Um, we change how we use our grammar when forming our sentences. Um, you know, there are things like the Chicago Manual of Style, which um, a lot of times is the one that most editors turn to for novels. But, uh, but it is just a section of rules that's been created by one group of people. And it's not necessarily every single person that's out there is doing those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to mention today that, um, that Microsoft word it and their, the spelling and grammar tool is, um, can sometimes point you in the right direction but lately i've been noticing how just how absolutely wrong it is on almost everything like it'll have a little squiggle mark and i'm like what yeah (laughs) well yeah you know f7 is f7 should not be your editor (laughs) no don't let f7 be your editor yeah there are other tools i think that are um that are helpful um but the uh yeah, that one's not and not so. and you know what? None of them are going to replace actually having a real human being that understands exactly what's going on until they can program it right. um, to have every single um, occurrence in there. It's not going to happen. So you do have some other ones like Pro Writing Aid, uh, Grammarly. Those are both ones that are good. But again, um, we we did a test over a couple months ago. Um, spent a test run on those softwares and still found that they don't catch everything. Yeah, they don't catch everything, and they make suggestions that are sometimes that are sometimes incorrect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think they can be used to um, to find you know common things in your um, in your manuscript, you know, and, and kind of learn and like what is this? Oh, what is passive voice? And like mm-hmm. I, helping to identify it and that kind of thing. Um, and I also think they can be used to help clean up your document, um, your manuscript a little bit before you're sending it to the editor. But yeah, um, I agree. It's not, sadly, not a substitute for awesome people. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, especially if you're working on your very first draft, uh, please just ignore all of it. You know, <laughs> don't, don't pay attention to the, right. the squiggly marks. Don't worry about those things. Just worry about putting a story down. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, do you have a quote for us this week, Clark? Uh, yeah. So from uh, Kristen Lamb, and uh, she says, understand what makes a great hook. Begin with a problem, the scene, not thinking, the sequel. 
The problem doesn't need to be earth-shattering, and if it is, make sure it's something you can outdo later. Don't have the biggest loop of your roller coaster at the front of the ride, or everything else is just going to be anticlimactic. Yeah, what do you think about that? I think that's a it's really good advice here. And uh, if you ever listen to the book editor show, you know that we make fun of Michael Bay quite often, and um, it's because. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> you know that his thing is just the is just the problem it's just the scene um just something's bigger explosion bigger explosion bigger explosion you know and if you looked you know if you watched it in reverse it would get smaller and then less anticlimactic um but the other thing here that i really liked with this idea is that you know we we begin with what the person wants you know, these are called MRUs, uh, Motivational Reaction Units, uh, Scene Sequel. So you desire something, you go after it, uh, then the problem happens. And you just do this over and over again. So if you're doing it right in that middle part, it, it could be unclear what's happening and why it even matters. Right, right. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, exactly. As we're getting to know the main character, to understand what that person wants um, is really important. Um, yeah, right off the bat, like really understanding what's going on. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think we should get to the submission. Uh, today's, <laughs> sorry, I'm having, I'm a little spacey today. Okay, now I'm getting serious. Um, today's submission is Bloodbound, which is book one of the Bloodlines books by Sarah Brett. This is a paranormal fantasy horror. Uh, it's not yet published. The word count is 117,000 words. Wow, that's huge. Um, mm -hmm. And, oh, and just so you know that this story is divided into two timelines. And the one that we're looking at is, um, is set in the past, about 1000 A.D., the little the little hint the author sent us so thank you sarah so much for sending this in and uh clark is gonna read us read it for yeah, us now you've got it uh the moon stood full and round in its ebony throne as i looked up above me hundreds of stars twinkling down in a perfect cloudless sky shimmering eyes looking down on me from the still waters of the night i did not want to look away from their beauty the sky was so calm, so serene, where in fact I was anything but. Rhythmic drumbeats boomed, resonating around me, keeping in time with my own pounding heart. I could feel the soft tremors in the cool earth under my feet, the dirt smooth beneath the thick skin. I took a deep breath of the warm night air and could taste the bitter smoke and that billowed from the nearby wreaths of burning herbs. Bundles of greenery smoldered on the ceremonial pyres of stacked birch and oak gathered around me in a circle, laid out only for the most sacred of rites. Tonight was a holy night. The air was thick with anticipation and fear, both of them my own. The rush of blood pounding in my ears as I stood shakily before the whole village. I looked at the sea of faces before me, so many friends and family among them, all looking at me with encouraging smiles of frowns, worried lines of doubt. The only thing that kept my feet from taking flight was knowing that I was not out here alone. I was standing next to my mother. I snuck a small glance to my side where she stood speaking to our people. Her soft voice carried on the breeze effortlessly. I still marveled at the ever-ready smile that would cross her face in times such as now. 
widening as she stooped to hold a child's hand. Through her long, dark hair, though her long, dark hair was now starting to streak with the pale gray of wisdom, the crown of rosemary and you sat proudly on her wreathed brow, a crown she wore with pride, having earned the respect that shone in the people's eyes as they spoke with her, seeking out her words. My mother was the high priestess and leader of our people, one of a long line of women who wore the goddess mantle, bearing the burden of the honor that came with the duty passed down to her. Now today was my day, my initiation, the beginning step to becoming the next high priestess of our people. I was next in the line dating back to our ancestors, the chosen daughter from our bloodline. At reaching womanhood, I had begun work with the shamans, ready to take over the rites when the reigning priestess was taken to the next life. Looking at my mother now, so beautiful by firelight, with her warm, dark eyes and glistening golden skin, I almost hoped never to have to take over my fated duties. To become priestess would also toll the death of my beloved mother, and that was a pain more than I could bear to think about. I closed my eyes, trying to rein in my racing heart, trying to calm my breathing. I let the earth center me, rooting myself down to the ground and letting its gentle energy soothe my own. The shamans were working behind us, sat in their customary closed circle, humming and chanting so softly it was merely a murmur on the wind. It was eerily beautiful, their deep voices in a harmony like the droning of worker bees as they collected their honey for the queen. The shaman were all male, chosen sons who gave their lives to the goddess, serving only their priestess. Their energy was the shining sun to her mystical power of the moon. They were her hands in time of need, her eyes and ears among the villagers. I knew they would be making offerings to the goddess and chanting prayers for my safety before I embarked on this final quest. A quest for what, mother? I remembered asking her when I had been young and today had still seemed so far off. A very important one for your heart, your soul, your destiny. She had smiled at me in her way that always left me wondering what secrets she knew. What amazing things she had seen that gave her dark eyes such wisdom and depth. But what if I fail? I sighed. Then you will be dead, my dearest child, so do not fail. She smiled at me again. I couldn't help but smile back at her answer. I knew from her stories of the past trials that my quest would not be easy. She herself had been sent off to gather an eagle's egg from the high nests to sacrifice at the harvest festival. My grandmother's quest had been to claim a wolf's pelt with only her wits to arm her after her sister's demise in the river only days earlier. My mother did not know what my journey would involve, no matter how many times I begged to know. Only the shamans would know on the day, she had told me. The quest would be shown to them through meditation and vision quest. All I knew, with any certainty, was there would be great risk. A journey away from home, alone, fraught with perils, danger, and sacrifice. Now the day was here, and I stood staring into the dark night and shrouded forests with many unknown terrors before me. I hadn't expected to be so very afraid. I was always the brave one, rushing to climb the highest trees, jumping headfirst into the river. But I had been a child then. Now I stood here, a woman, and I was terrified. 
afraid of what was waiting for me tonight, lurking with unseen eyes, afraid of the vast unknown. I was not afraid of death. My people believed after death we would join the goddess in her high, higher planes, but I was afraid of the pain. If I was doomed to die this night, I prayed softly to the goddess that she would make it quick. The shamans began to chant louder now as they approached us, an expectant hum settling over the crowd of our gathered tribe. Even the children were awake for the festivities, everyone eager to watch my departure. After I left my people, there would be a great feast and a party that would continue well into tomorrow. Then they would anxiously wait for my return, or eventually mourn my death. My mother glanced over to the shaman standing behind us, their chanting hushed to whispers on the breeze. She looked back to me with resolute eyes, and I knew it was time. She took my hand in her own with a quick, soft squeeze. Then I was alone once again to face my fate. Daughter of the goddess, daughter of my own flesh, my mother spoke to me, her face grave. You are chosen by the great mother, marked by blood, to watch over her people and take care of her land, as is your birthright. She took off her woven crown and laid it upon my own head. It felt heavier than I had expected. To prove your worth to her, you must learn the elders' sacred rites and be knowledgeable and respectful in all you do. She turned to the head shaman, Siam, the man who had been my mother's lover, my father, and who is now my patient mentor. Has our daughter shown her faith? My mother asked him, their eyes meeting and holding with love. Is she worthy to take the final step to the goddess's grace? She is, my lady. He nodded his dark head, sending me a small smile of encouragement that bolstered my heart. My beautiful Lashaya, are you ready to walk the goddess's path, alone and afraid, but with purest love in your heart? Yes, I answered simply, afraid all other world words would fail me. Tonight, you must face the goddess's challenge to test your faith in her and your loyalty to your people. You must offer her your most treasured possession and trust it into her care, your life. She dipped her fingers into a pot of oil in her hands and anointed the five-pointed star onto my forehead, the five points representing the five elements of life around us, the earth beneath my feet, the air we breathed, the water we drank, and the fire that warmed us, the fifth being the soul within us. In everything around us, I felt them link within me. Whatever happened here tonight, I would forever be connected to that energy, even it was meant to be resting within the earth or scattered on the air in dancing ashes. Are you willing to entrust the goddess with your life, willing to sacrifice your own life if necessary for the love of your people? She asked me now, her eyes looking into mine with warmest pride. Yes, I answered again, but stronger this time. I felt the fear slipping from me as I looked out at the sea of faces looking up at me with perfect trust. Thank you. Um, uh, and thanks again to Sarah for your submission. Um, there's a lot of really great sensory details in this opening. Um, you know, a lot of stories will have the, uh, they will have lots of visual things and great, you know, great details and that kind of thing. But here we have 
um, we have smell and taste and sound and the feeling of vibrations within the earth and all of that. So there's like, so that it's, um, I think it helps, uh, it helps as an experience, um, and not just, uh, just reading the story. Um, and there's some great questions in here to hook the reader, um, about what, uh, what will, uh, Lashaya, uh, what will her challenge be? Um, will she be able to do it? Uh, what sort of pain will she have to endure and what's going to happen to her mother and how's that going to affect her? And so, um, these are just some, you know, some preliminary stories before the story even gets going that, um, that we can, you know, like we get started asking and that kind of pull us through the story. Yeah, exactly. I, I really do like the imagery that's painted here. Um, when you're reading through this, you know, you'll notice though that it takes it takes quite a bit of time to establish um, the full scene, and also to establish what it is that Lashaya is desiring, what it is that you know her her scene is all about. Why is she here? What is it she's after and what's going to happen and take place to, to get that um, and to have those emotions. We don't feel that until much later. And, and it's one of the things that can end up happening with this scene and sequel. And this is why this is such a good uh, technique to use because it helps uh, direct your story is uh, that when you dive into this, into any book as a reader, you could pick it up and then to be able to identify that quickly, what it is that they want um, and of course, you don't have to just be blatantly, I want to go out and complete my quest <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But to be able to put that in there through those feelings, because she does an excellent job uh, establishing the feelings through here. We just need to have them earlier so that we know exactly what's going on. Um, one of the other things that I would suggest here, and this can really help to to uh, establish scene quite quickly and to the feeling of everything that's going on is that um, when you read this you know the moon stood full um, stood full and round and seventy throne it looked above me hundreds of stars twinkling down um, everything was calm you know there's drum beats and things but it really feels like she's kind of just out there alone and then we get more and we find that there's people looking up at her you know and and we can combine these two things. If we have two similar elements here, if we have, you know, if we're making, um, we're giving the stars human, uh, um, uh, human looking down, you know, that we're telling them that the stars are looking down at her, then we could combine that and we could move those people up that are looking up at her. We can move those, that uh, paragraph earlier so that we can contrast those two things together and then it helps establish our scene even faster. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, I was, I, I struggled with this a little bit, um, because there were, there were some elements that weren't working for me, although there was a lot working for me, but, um, but the, the, this opening felt really passive and I couldn't put my finger on it at first. Um, uh, and what I want to say is, you know, this is an epic fantasy book, you know, I mean, it's, it's long. Uh, it's what did I say? It's a hundred hundred and seventeen. Yeah, hundred seventeen thousand words. That's a big book. So the you know the person reading this knows that they are settling in for a long read. So they're going to be more patient, I think, by nature. Um, but this still felt kind of passive to me. Um, that you know there was there. It seems like there's a there's quite a bit of telling, um, and the the sentence structure with. Um, 
where you have verbs with their ing added ing endings that is um tacked on as either participles or gerunds that and uh there's a repetitive sentence structure with asides um that the you know i think also that you know the action that's happening the looking the chanting the waiting and all of it combined um produces a kind of sleepy tone that Mm -hmm. um and and that i would suggest um considering whether um a sl- you know a more active scene a more active opening would um would help to provide a little momentum uh to get the the reader you know through that you know through the beginning um and and like kind of catapult them or boost uh, you know them through the through the rest of it um and what i finally settled on was that this um this feels more like sequel to me. Like there's a lot of reflection. There's a lot of her thinking about things. And it's almost as if we are in between moments of action that mm-hmm. we, you know, that something happened before this and something is going to happen after this. And we have a pretty good idea what's going to happen after, at least in terms of like, she's going to go on her quest um, unless something else happens, um, <laughs> it's in, in the way of that. Um, so what I, what I want, um, to suggest is, is considering whether, um, a different moment might possibly be, um, be the place to start, um, with this story. Um, and the, that I had another, um, another possible suggestion but I want to but what I want to say first is too that I'm I'm kind of setting a trap for myself because it is so often the case that the thing that I'm saying is like what happens on page six so we are you know we're we're limited by the um by the format here a little bit um so um so it may be that the author has already considered this and this is and it gets really active um right after that um so consider that possibility um but then um the other suggestion i or you know possible way to work with this to make it a little more active would be to have let us see the ceremony up close if it makes sense for the story it's just another idea so if that ceremony and seeing it up close like what are the shaman really doing because you know like what we're getting is there you know there's some looking there's chanting there's waiting but but what are people doing are there special finger gestures or that's sounds weird um but uh, but you know like is there something and is it meaningful to the people and and um and maybe have you know people having different reactions rather than a sort of chorus of the villagers all doing and reacting you know doing the same things reacting the same way um and so that's just uh um that's you know another possibility for making this opening a little more active um, a little more of, you know, okay, I'm going to stop there <laughs> a little more <laughs> something or other, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's something to consider. Uh, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. So just what you were saying there, you know, like just, we've got a great 
sequel here. We've got a great uh, reaction to what something has happened here. And that what is that something? That something was her stepping up in the middle of this group, mm-hmm. making the decision to do this and to follow through. Um, so start there. Start yeah. at taking the steps, you know, making the decision to move forward. Because that's what this whole scene sequel idea is about, is that you make a decision or, uh, based on something that you want, that you do that something, and then you have the reaction to that something. And then because of that reaction of how it went and how you feel, then you make another choice and you just keep going through this again and again and again. And so yeah. I hope that's making sense um, by what we're talking about here, that this is the sequel part. This is the reflection part. This is where she's going to make another decision based on what she's feeling at this moment. Right. And even and even when the um, the thing that happens is something that's happening to her, like, you know, it's based on someone else's choice, then um, she still has the, you know, she still has the opportunity to make the decision to do it, you know, to go along peacefully mm-hmm. or to not, you know, I think. So that's always an option, too, when something comes from out of the blue and, you know, that's the thing that, the thing that mm-hmm. happens, the action that happens. Yeah, because I could imagine, you know, that this um, this young woman, having been raised this way, is still well. We see the fear here that she's having. Like, there's got to be a lot of fear, probably, and anticipation, even to get to this moment. Mm-hmm. And um, we certainly want to see that, and so we want to feel that. And one of the suggestions I have, if you if you haven't picked it up, this is one of these books that you need on your shelf, and that's the emotional thesaurus you know they they do such a great job of going through there and you say fear and this is what the physical reactions of fear look like this is what the internal reactions of fear look like and then we can add that in so that we can really show and not just say that i'm afraid we actually can see the fear and the anticipation um and then the other main thing with this piece here is that we have a lot of uh of of what you call maybe echo or that we've we're restating things and it can be stronger if we can combine those together. You know, we, we, we talk about the earth standing on the earth a couple different times. And the second time we talk about it, which is really cool about, um, the gentle energy helps to, to soothe her. And that's a really cool world building element, um, that I would want to know more about. Is this something that only, um, the, the people who serve the goddess is this only something that the priestess and their bloodline can feel? Is this something that everybody feels, you know? And so, um, look for elements, you know, where you can do good world building and to, to tie that in, um, into the story multiple places. Right. Right. Um, I had, um, one other, um, kind of, um, you know, bigger or structural kinds of things. There are some, you know, there's some copy editing suggestions, but um, those are all in line. And, and so I feel like um, check those out in the, in the show notes. If you're, um, if you want to look at um, like thing, yeah, the things like the echoes, that's a good point um, that you mentioned that you can use that. Those are great opportunities. Those are like the, um, uh, oh, the other, uh, the other day you said these things are clues that you, you know, they're actually helpful because they, um, and I think it maybe it was the weak verbs. They're helpful because they point you to places where you can make, um, 
make the sentences stronger. So that's the kind of thing. So use those echoes in a positive way that they're flags to help you make your sentences stronger and your world um, more elaborate and and that. Um, but the the final thing I wanted to mention is about genre and um, and we have the, uh, the genre listed as paranormal fantasy slash horror. Now I I totally get the you know this the paranormal um, fantasy aspect of this um, comes through loud and clear to me, um, but I'm not getting um, the horror aspect up front. Um, and the, um, it may be that there, you know, again, this might come on page six. Um, but one of the conventions of, of horror is, you know, that there should be some kind of monster and that monster should be, you know, should show up pretty soon, um, in the, uh, in the opening. So we have, you know, even if it's kind of vague, even if it turns out that the monster is not really a monster, even, you know, whatever unfolds, we should have some sense that there's, you know, this sort of evil presence, um, that is, uh, that's lurking. Um, and so the, um, yeah, again, it might come right after this, um, but that's something to be aware of if you are including aspects of horror in, um, you know, in your genre mashup that you want to be mindful of. Excellent point. Excellent point. Oh. And I, I think you, I think I hit all of mine too. Oh, um, yeah. check the show notes for for figurative versus literal. There's a few things in there, you know, that you want to make sure if it's a literal or if you're meaning it figuratively and be clear on that. So those are marked. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there were lots of really great topics in here and mm-hmm. it's hard to whittle them down to just a couple There's not of enough time. Not <laughs> enough time. Ah, okay. But there is time for an editorial mission today. Yes, there is. Do you have one of those? I do. I do. It just so happens. Um, I want you to assess your opening scene so uh it should you know it should contain the basic elements of a scene this is a scene opening scene whatever you know so it should have your character with the goal something standing in the character's way or in you know in the way of the character's pursuit of the goal and success or failure in achieving the goal and um that all depends on you know where your story goes after that but that you know those basic elements in the opening are really important and they um of course, they set us up for all the stuff that happens afterward. So assess your opening, make sure you have those necessary components, and then let us know how it goes. You can leave a comment in, at the bottom of the show notes, or you can drop us a line at writershippodcast at gmail.com. And that's all I have for today. Well, one last thing. Remember that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies. Oh, wait. No, I have more (laughs) before we go. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, And if you want your five pages reviewed, then send them to writershippodcast at gmail.com. Uh, finally, be sure to check out the Book Editor Show, which Clark hosts with Peter 
Turley. And this week, they're going to be talking about editing your fantasy story. So if you are writing fantasy, please go check that out. That's thebookeditorshow.com. And, okay, one last thing, a final final, grab your copy of Hank Hudson and the Anubis on Amazon. That is truly it this time. See you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.